Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. If you're into sports, then it's your favorite time of the year, NCAA March Madness. So many games, you never know what's going to happen. That's why you need to be ready for whatever the next round brings. There's a 16-1 upset. If a 9 seed makes the final four, you better make sure your fridge isn't empty at halftime. Swing by Walmart before every round and stock up on Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, and Powerade for Powerade Zero, personally. Before the next game tips off, NCAA March Madness isn't just one game, it's a whole tournament. Make sure you're ready. Refresh every round by heading to Walmart to pick up Coca-Cola, Coke Zero Sugar, and Powerade. Well, it's been long overdue, especially with the way the Utah Jazz have been playing of late, have winners of 19 of 21 before a kind of odd loss to the hawks last night but we'll uh or maybe not odd uh, as our guest may tell us but uh david lock uh the president founder of the locked on uh podcast network would you say and of course utah jazz radio man as well um i think i can go with founder that's accurate and um if i have given myself the titles president seems pretty arrogant so we'll probably pass on that um, but i don't know what my title is right now uh of the locked on podcast network or the guys are doing incredible work i'm pretty excited about where we're heading and, and what's going on with it um and all the hosts have really been pretty amazing so i'm excited i don't know what um what title i get for it though so i might have to just stay with founder that one i can't yeah, deny. david has a national nba podcast of course locked on, on nba that he's on a couple times a week and then they've actually just gone to five days a week of late and, and actually i i most recommend them probably for fantasy uh locked on fantasy josh lloyd uh i'm not super into fantasy but i am told and the few times i've listened to it and been on there I, i've been really impressed with with his level of knowledge as well so i want to talk a little bit just we'll get to the jazz obviously at the end here but you watch a lot of nba games you're in a little bit different of a position than some of us because you're right there with the team a lot of the time you've got access to some of the stuff that we don't have access to um but so i want to ask you over the course of the season like what have you learned about basketball this year so it's funny you sent me an outline and I had one answer and now by the time you ask me the question person I have another it's probably is a large statement in my brain um, I think it's interesting how many things are being done for the course of 82 games or for the course of the well-being of the franchise, the big picture, whereas, you know, most fans are passionately involved in each night, you know, and I think I'll, I'll see things that the coach does. And if it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, if there's analytics that show it otherwise, or why would he possibly be doing that? I think from my point of view, I've really gotten past the point. None of these guys are idiots. In fact, they're the exact opposite. The coaches in this league are incredible. And so there's a reason. And then you've got, I think that's the thing you've got to decipher is, so 
why is this guy's defensive rating is 111 back out there again? And there's there probably is some sort of reason. And, you know, I think coaches are often making moves to hold a locker room together. I think coaches are making moves to, to hope that realizing that, wow, this guy's two of his last 24 from three. We're in game 34 of the season. And you know what? I'm going to need him at game 75. So I just cannot banish him to the end of the bench. And I think that there's a lot more of that that goes on in regards to how a team is massaged through a season than I think most people realize. Anything else that, that falls into that category for you other than uh, player usage seems like the one that you alluded to there, but anything else that, that you see that's kind of more regular season, the overall health of the franchise stuff uh, that's been going on? Oh, I mean, I also think there's the stuff where um, I'll use a football analogy. So there's like that quarterback who the blitz comes and he's supposed to hit his hot receiver on the right side and instead he throws a bomb into double coverage that's complete for a 72 yard touchdown and the fans love it but the coach is sitting there saying wait a sec he made the wrong read and that's going to be intercepted most of the time how can I ever trust this quarterback and then that quarterback doesn't play and everyone can't figure out why there's there's some of that that goes on as well I think would be the other thing where you know maybe somebody hit a jumper on the right wing but he busted the play to do it and if the play's not work you know and those kind of things um, I think there's some a little bit more of that that goes on as well in this league and I think a lot of fans realize where somebody may not be getting t- so somebody may be getting time because they're massaging things to get through portions of the season and I think there's a, the other side is where someone's not getting time you can't quite figure out why again um, it's probably for subtle things that aren't entirely clear no coach is going to come out and say you know well you know Steve Steve Mitchell doesn't doesn't run plays correctly and so he doesn't get to play yeah well Rick Carlisle might say that <laughs> but, but I'm not sure yeah. I, I'm not sure anyone else would when was Quinn's first year it was a 14-15 right yeah, yeah. So I, I remember that a common refrain from you uh, that year was that they were actually practicing more than was optimal to win games that they felt like practice in some ways was more important than the games was especially because it was his first year to get his system implemented is that an accurate summary of kind of what the approach was that season there's no question that that year they were willing to fatigue players to install a culture and a system that might cost them a basketball game no no question about that I think anyone else is doing that it seems like a great idea to me especially when these teams aren't necessarily trying to win that hard anyway to begin with you know i mean if you look at a team like the suns for example you know devin booker had these comments recently saying that you know we've kind of been spoiled we've been handed things and that you know they really struggle to get guys to execute in games I mean, i'm not saying they aren't doing that but do you have you heard from anyone else that anyone has tried that approach because it seems like a, a really good one to me for a young team i have not um i probably haven't asked either though so that isn't you know and i think quinn snyder does a lot of things that are very different than everybody else i don't know that for a fact just in the sense that i'm not at everybody's practice and everybody shoot around the way i have access to the utah jazz um but i do think quinn is pretty unique in sorry that's bad english i think quinn is unique you cannot put a qualifier on unique uh, I think Quinn's unique in, in his approach and his mind. And so I do think there's things he does that are different than other people. Yeah, pr- pretty pretty unique is one of those ones that I say all the time too. Because The problem is when you're trying to come up with it, like what is a better synonym if you want to say that something rare, like that doesn't quite work there. So I, I don't really have a great synonym for if you're going to say it's pretty unique, you know, it's like trying to express that sentiment. I'm not sure of what the great way is to express that, but hopefully it'll just be one of those 
those things that eventually become so colloquial that it gets to be proper grammar anyway so maybe they'll they'll catch up with us eventually norma pfeiffer my ninth grade um, english teacher was looking on above from above on me there and she got me the other one i by the way on that topic that i love is when coaches say their players need more notoriety go look up the definition of notoriety basically means you rape somebody It's basically being it's basically being famous for all the wrong reasons. Like the Austin bomber is notorious. Um, and I, when coaches complain that their players aren't getting enough notoriety, I'm always like, really interesting. Because I don't think that's really yeah, what you mean. But, but then you don't want to say attention because the idea of getting attention is, is another thing that that kind of is a negative connotation in our society. Um, but right. where the hell were we? Oh yeah, so Rec- recognition recognition is the word we're we're looking for. I think. So you you've kind of been. Uh, adamant in pushing some of the jazz for some of the individual awards this year but one of them I mean, you mentioned quinn snyder and his slightly to pretty unique <laughs> approach can you elaborate on that like what is it that you think i mean maybe and again you know, i know you're not in to say hey he's doing this and nobody else isn't but you know you've obviously you've seen previous coaches with this organization before you've been part of other organizations before uh like what is it that stands out for him you know compared to other nba coaches at least that you've experienced with well without comparing him to others I mean his commitment to preparation is the players know he's he's going to be his for preparation detailed shoot arounds are just incredible um and so what both the offensive and defensive approach that this team takes to be prepared for games is is at a very high level I, again i honestly can't say i know it's at an elite level because i'm not at 29 other practices but i have a hard time fathoming how somebody could be more detailed <laughs> can, can, can you um, give his communicate w- without you know but blowing your cover too badly here I mean, can you give it any kind of examples on, on what sort of stuff that you've been impressed by with the level of detail i mean it can be anything from him knowing that if a player changes the angle which he runs a route coming off the you know and say a player starts on the downside in the corner and he'll try to do something that makes that player change the route they run to, you know to get something um there was a game I, I'm, I'm gonna leave some names and teams out here but there was a game i think this was probably four years ago this was probably the first time i really was like whoa where he had re- there was part of the team's offense was initiated by a pass to the elbow and he had really figured out that if they didn't make the pass to the elbow that they didn't have a set of counters and that they that their offense really just broke down almost into a pure one-on-one game if they didn't get the pass to the elbow and it was to a player that you couldn't really do damage from the elbow so i'm guessing that every other team just allowed this pass to go to this player at the elbow because he wasn't going to hit a 15 footer and he really wasn't going to do a lot of things to bother you and all of a sudden we came out and denied the pass to that player all night long and this team was just an absolute zoo that night so that one's probably you know as good an example if i have just with the preparation level you know he clearly saw something and then just watched and watched and watched and watched and watched until he realized wow like they don't um have something there um i'm just trying to think without you know i gotta be careful right this is all from stuff that goes on in shoot arounds that I'm so fortunate to have access to and learn so much from. Um, you know, there's there's some of the basic right, left kind of things like that, but it's a lot more of change, making them change the angle by which they're doing something that will destroy the spacing or even just, you know, hey, if, you cover, if you're covering this guy at this spot, make sure your hands are up because his only release passes are these two, and if your hands are up, then it's going to be a 
enough time in the air for this guy to rotate back. I mean, so it's really pretty, I mean, at least to me, those are high level details. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think maybe even some might say that's too high level, right? And obviously they've been successful, so it's not. But I think a lot of coaches would say, well, you know, that's too granular. You know, we're just trying to get you to know that Lou Williams likes to go left every time, you know, like, and so do you think that there's, how is he able to impart that? Because I mean, he's probably, I'm guessing, not the only coach in the NBA who might be able to tell players these things, but to actually impart it and get them to execute to me, that is so much more of coaching. I mean, everyone can be like, oh, how could like the coach like let them do this? It's like, well, you know, it's a game of telephone. Every time you want the players to do something, you have to actually impart that knowledge to them and get them to execute it. And it seems like that is something that he really excels at. One, I think Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder work together to bring in types of players who can execute what we're speaking of. So I think that's the first part of it. Um, The second part of it, I would say, uh, is a little bit of back to where you started. There's just been an incredible commitment to building habits. And so, you know, if you can get your players to build a habit in, I'm thinking not really defensively, but our offensive stuff is equally as complicated. Um, If you can build the habit, then you're able to take the next level stuff. The one thing Quinn will talk a lot about is um, he's used this analogy a lot. When you're driving someplace for the first time, and you're on the phone, you often say, you know what, I got to go. I got to figure out where I'm going. If you're driving home, you would never do that, yeah. right? Because you've done it so many times. It's a ha- and, and to that, I think, is a really wonderful analogy of what his coaching is, is that they pound stuff and work on things so many times, so much, that it's all driving home. So then you can go to the next level stuff. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. All right, so I want to uh, take a quick break here. We'll be right back uh, with a, a ton more from David Locke. I'm going to take a quick break here to tell you about Sonos and they're up and running setup experience. Sonos, as you guys know already from the ads they've done before, is a far superior technology to just a Bluetooth speaker in your home, whether it's your TV whether it's playing stuff off your phone, podcasts through your favorite podcast player like Stitcher, Spotify, you can go play Sonos directly in the Spotify app, for example. It plays it over Wi-Fi rather than over Bluetooth. The Bluetooth is just, to me, a pretty miserable technology. I had Bluetooth speakers before. I would try to connect to them. It would interrupt my phone calls. People would call me and it would try to play the call through the speaker, but then it thought that the speaker was a microphone, but it didn't have a microphone. Really a very difficult experience. No such problem with sonos because it just plays through your home wi-fi and while sonos speakers are very easy to set up if you don't want to bother you can have someone do it for you for free if you live in any metropolitan area their up and running service will have a trained expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free people who came for me were awesome they found out that we didn't have quite the right equipment the first time we needed a sound bar that could attach to my tv because it was wall mounted so they helped me to get the right piece of equipment. Then they helped me set up the sound, which sounds absolutely amazing. In my house, they actually, you take an iPhone and it listens for a series of pulses from the Sonos and can optimize the sound quality for the room. It really sounds fantastic, better than anything has a right to sound in your home, especially considering how sleek the speakers are. So the way to get started with them, go to Sonos.com and get 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product this offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotion use the promo code dunk 10 d-u-n-c 10 a little bit different than the normal code this time that's dunk 10 d-u-n-c 10 because you're getting 10 percent off 
at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Once again, you can get 10% off any order of $2,500 or less using the promo code DUNK10 at Sonos.com. I let them know that you came from us. So one of the things that stuck out to me that, that I think has probably been my biggest take, and maybe this is just, this isn't necessarily an evolution that I'm recognizing so much as it is something that I'm just realizing and was always the case, but the differences between regular season and playoff basketball have really stuck out to me whether that's because the Cavaliers have kind of you know maybe been the ultimate like mess around in the regular season type of team and then they make it to the finals every year uh whether it's you know we see so many teams now going one-on-one trying to get whoever the worst matchup is but you know they'll do that more in the playoffs when you can really lock in on an opponent those are some of the things that make me say hey this is part of what makes playoff basketball so different that if you have any weaknesses they will be exposed there whereas on a night-to-night basis in the nba it's harder to do that yeah i don't know if i mean i think as you were kind of running through i was listening really intently because i think you're probably got better thoughts than i do on this the two-way player is the most common thing that we talk about all yeah. the time i'm not entirely sure that the league is right on that actually um like i'm currently at a stage where having covered a team that nobody in the world would ever think could win 21 of 23 games including myself um trying to figure out why and how it can happen and that's so that's where i am mind wise and that's make actually making me wonder if some of these other things we've always thought to be true may not be true um well so w- w- what do you i think, don't know if i know the do you answer think that the this jazz run like like what what stereotypes or, or ideas has those has that run defied to you so the jazz defense since January 19th when Rudy Gobert returned is better is 10 points above better than average in the league and in that same time period when the Rockets won whatever in a row their offense was nine points above average so the Jazz defense is the Rockets offense so then is Rudy Gobert James Harden oh you're, you're jumping the gun on the, on this one <laughs> but yeah sorry yeah. but no we can yeah. go to it but I mean that's so that okay so I mean I, I mean I have about honestly the Jazz winning 21 of 23 and living through it has really got me got my head spinning like i'm really i mean i'm playing around every night when we're not when we don't have a game running numbers watching games trying to figure out what's going on because nobody like the point guard on this team is ricky rubio the jazz win their next game who won the most games he's ever won in his regular season okay the shooting guard on this team is a rookie if the jazz win three more games there has not been a rookie who's led his team in scoring that's won more than 43 games since david robinson the shooting the small forward is joe ingles who got cut by three different franchises and most recently by the la clippers and they're playing two bigs which everyone says you can't do yeah at least it a limited amount right? per game but yeah i mean that's I, I, although yeah, I, I was not among those I, I always liked the favors go bear combo until this year when it was ineffective to start the year but it seems to have come around so much so sorry so i mean those are all reasons so yeah, and, yeah, and i mean and, and i'm just i'm piling right. on just because i'm trying right. to prove I mean, a the, point those are all like ricky rubio shooting yeah, yeah it, these are all reasons those are all unlikely, true right? right these are all reasons it's unlikely so right so go being really good that's one what else is it what else has led to this incredible stretch well some of it i think is coach quinn snyder's system i mean the jazz defense when gobert's been off the floor has been under 
100 points per possession too. Now it's been like 92 when Gobert's on the floor, which is just an insane number. Um, And maybe at that point, you've just been so discombobulated, you don't regain your rhythm when Gobert leaves. But the consensus that I've come up with is kind of what I said earlier, that I just think Rudy Gobert's got an impact on the game that's every bit the same as what James Harden and Steph Curry's impact on the game. And it's the only way to explain it to me, because if you told me LeBron's team won 21 of 23, I'd say, okay, I got it. And if you told me Steph's team won 21 of 23, I'd say, okay, I got it. If you told me James Harden's won 21 of 23, yeah, it makes sense. So how is it possible? You can't win 21 of 23 by being fortunate. It's just too long a period of time in the league. You can win seven straight, but not 21 of 23. Yeah, I mean, that's over a quarter of the season there. And I think, obviously, when Gobert has played it and been healthy, they've been an elite defensive team for a long time. And I thought, you know, it seemed possible to me that this was a team that could be a top five defense. They've been well beyond that, obviously. They've had some stretches similar to this, you know, when Gobert ascended to the starting lineup in that 14-15 season. I think they, they had a relatively similar stretch to this one, albeit in a lower offense environment at that time. Um, and, and the offense has been better than I expected. I mean, I thought this was they were headed towards being a, a bottom five offense. A lot of that was, you know, I had no idea that this dude they drafted number 13 was going to be this good. Sure. Um, and he hasn't been particularly efficient recently. So the, the thing that, all right, so here's, here's my next food for thought. Is there a chance that a coach is, the, the general premise in the league is that if a coach has a good defensive system, his team will be all right defensively. And if he has good offensive player, if he has good players, that they'll be good offensively. Right. You'd agree with that, right? Uh, yeah. I would say the general that, consensus that's is, general thesis, is that coaching has more of an effect on defense than offense. Okay. So Mike Malone, when he went from Golden State to Denver, thought of his defensive coach. They're yeah, although I, I, don't, I don't know Thibodeau how, much, thought of his defensive I don't know how coach. much evidence there actually was to support that. He, was, he, he okay. talks tough. But that I, might I don't be, know that, that there's. That might yeah, be fair. I don't know that he ever has helmed a great defense. Okay. okay. Though Sacramento was decent with him defensively, I believe. Uh, I don't. Thought they're middle of the pack. I'll look that up while you're talking. Okay. Uh, Minnesota was supposed to be great defensively because of Tom Thibodeau. They're terrible. Steve Clifford's known as one of the better defensive coaches. They're bottom ten percent, bottom ten in the league, I think, defensively. Maybe they've moved up to eighteen. So, so wait a sec. Maybe it's the exact opposite that you can take Ricky Rubio, who's got the worst shooting numbers of any player, frankly, in the last thirty years. A rookie, Joe Ingles, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. And if you put them in an offensive system, they can become close to average. And if you have the personnel to play defense, you can be elite defensively. Like maybe we have this backwards. Well, so if you want to be elite defensively, you better have Draymond Green, Kawhi Leonard, or Rudy Gobert. Because Tom Thibodeau, or Joe, Joe Kim Noah in his prime. Because Tom Thibodeau, if, if I were to ask you when the year started who you thought the five best defensive coaches in the league were, you would have mentioned Thibodeau. You would have mentioned Steve Clifford, right? I think. Uh, no, I don't, I, I don't know and, that I would. And there, mention either of those actually at the start of this. I, year. I would have mentioned. I would have. Okay. I mean, I don't know how you're not mentioning Thibodeau. He's well, like because yeah, I would have mentioned Budenholzer. They were the number two defense in the league last year, right? But we all thought. But we didn't think it's because nobody has once said that Minnesota is not good defensively because Tom Thibodeau is not a good defensive coach. By the way, in in, in the one season, full season of Mike Malone, the Kings were 23rd in defense. Although that actually was uh, oh, okay. was an improvement for them with some of the surrounding seasons there. Yeah. And I think I think when he got fired, they were already. Right. I mean, I actually think I was going up the year where they were fired. It's too hard for you to find that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what they, they were, were when they were fired. 11. I think, think they're middle of the pack when he got fired. Yeah, I mean, but they finished 27th that season. So, uh, and obviously, Cousins right. missed time that he, year. He lost. So, um, right. So, anyway, my, I mean, the, and I don't know if this is true because I don't know it's yeah. true anymore. But so the question I'm asking is is it possible that defense is actually more personnel based than offense? 
and that offense might actually be more system-based than defense at some level. I think it may have moved more in that direction uh, to some degree. I mean, I think we've compared to, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, we've seen teams that have really focused uh, on moving the ball, getting system buckets, uh, as I like to call them, more so than we saw 10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago. Um, but, but I also think, I mean, you've seen teams that are pretty good defensively that don't have a ton of defense talent. Like, take, for example, the Spurs this year, Kawhi Leonard has played nine games. I think last I checked, they were the number three defense and you know how many guys on their team do you look at as elite defenders at this point in time like not that many not to be number three in particular um you know so so that's one that that pops out to me and i think also if you look at you know i think that coaching on offense you know you can get this jazz team which is you know has as you mentioned some spacing challenges it doesn't have experienced individual creators off the dribble you know to get them into like 15 or, or 18 when maybe you would have said going into the year that on talent they might be 25th you know i think you can do that can you get with just the system a team from 15th to the top five i don't think you can i think you got to have elite talent to be in that top five and that's if you look at who the top five offenses were and you've got some of the best individual superstars in the game on those teams i, I would 100 agree with that i would 100 agree with that but the, okay so then this leads to my next debate okay. i'm just gonna throw them all yeah, at no, you sir. what i think we always talk about you talk about playoff basketball this and the idea of the two-way player we've and i've asked 20 coaches this question in the last three weeks and i think 19 of them have answered it the same way um and that is what's harder to hide a bad defensive player or a bad offensive player and all of them have said a bad offensive player and i've asked them what's more detrimental to you a bad offensive player a bad defensive player and all 19 of the 20 have said an offensive player i'm not sure that's true the jazz defensive rating this year i'd have to check this but when joe johnson's on the was on the floor was like 107 yeah and and he played a lot of his minutes without gobert as well uh as i recall um and i forget where they were last year and and joe probably because probably because the injury but yeah no probably because the injury but and rodney hoods was 107 yeah and joe hasn't looked too good and to to be honest um right andre andre robertson is generally thought of as probably the worst offense player in the league right oh there's got to be a few worse but but he's up there rotate rotation player oklahoma city i don't have in front of me but oklahoma city's offense i think is three points worse per 100 possession was when he's off the floor yeah and they're obviously were much better uh, on defense as well i i think right but 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 let me make sure people got what i just was trying to show the worst defensive players in the league which are hard to figure out who they are like that's actually the hardest thing i'm having this research is like who are the 10 worst defensive players in the league it's really i can't get a consensus but so i've I've chosen two i know they're bad defensive players their the team was 10 points per 100 possessions worse when they were on the floor the worst offensive players only three points per 100 possessions worse dirk is like seven defensive he's he's a pretty big number like he's probably one of the worst defensive players in the league i think they're about seven points worse when he's on the floor um so suddenly i'm beginning to wonder is it maybe even a bad deep so then like this is just i'm i'm picking don't uh i'm doing something exceptional with names on it don't necessarily pick apart the piece but let's say lou williams is a f- elite level offensive player and a terrible defensive player. Fair? Yeah, I think so. He's, fair? He's definitely fair? a liability. Okay, Royce O'Neal of the Jazz is an incredible defensive player, and he's shooting 18% from three since the All-Star break. So he's a pretty bad offensive player. Yeah. Like, are they the is their value the same? Is their value to the game? It's always been thought that Lou Williams' value is 
way more. I'm not sure I think that's true anymore. Well, this is actually, I would go back a little bit to the playoffs. And I'd also go back to, to Houston, actually. I think the, like Houston, to me, with their switching scheme, has done an unbelievable job of not guarding the people who don't need to be guarded. And so when you get into these mismatches, they have always got the lane clogged and they can always bring help. And they're, you're not really able to ever get them in rotation in a way that they don't want to be. That's just one example. But I do think in playoff basketball, not having guys who can't shoot and aren't a threat, that's when that really locks in a little bit more. Uh, because I think you, you have to be kind of more disciplined about not guarding guys than you do. Oh, well, we'll just put this guy who's not a good pick and roll defender in the pick and roll, or we'll try and get him switched onto our best player. Um, I do think, though, that with your bad defensive player, the success, number one, that we've seen Cleveland have going after Steph Curry, uh, that we've seen Houston have going after whoever the hell they want to go after with James Harden, uh, whatever position they are on the floor, you know, maybe that's starting to switch a little bit. And maybe, especially now with the additional spacing that's on the floor, you know, it used to be, all right, ISO uh, is not very efficient. Well, we've seen teams be able to be efficient now with that again. And maybe that's due to the fact that there's so much more spacing on the floor. Maybe that has finally been the antidote to these Thibodeau overload style defenses. And so it maybe I, I would certainly agree with you to the extent that I think it has shifted back in that direction of being able to take advantage of bad defenders one-on-one in a way that maybe you weren't able to do you know three years ago five years ago when teams were playing two bigs and it was just too easy to bring the help and then the next question is is it possible that having a defensive stopper actually might be more valuable than having an offensive point score well i actually think the defensive stopper the individual (laughs) defensive stopper i'm gonna lock you down one-on-one guy may be less valuable than it's ever been just in terms of individual i can stop you in an iso defense because all right they'll just run a pick and roll and get that guy off of your guy yeah well i mean and you know i we really i've yet to see the team the warriors have come the closest they had some success with this uh, for example against cleveland last year um and they were able to hold down cleveland to some degree in some games in that 2016 finals uh but i've yet to see the team that really can consistently either avoid you know they'll try and hedge with like a guy like curry and you know that means the guy just gets downhill right in the lane i saw it last night with uh houston and portland or they'll end up having to get switched eventually anyway and you got to hope that you ran down enough time that there's not enough time to do damage i i really when they go after those small small pick and rolls to get the matchup i've not really seen the team that's been able to play really effective defense against that to avoid getting either an ugly matchup or your guy going downhill because that small ineffectively tried to hedge and it didn't really work it's worth keeping an eye on um i think you're probably you're probably accurate on that but um and maybe in the playoffs maybe in the playoffs teams can drill that a little bit more and try to avoid it which they wouldn't necessarily in the regular season but i mean that that's why this playoffs to me is just going to be so fascinating especially if houston and golden state match up and the those games are close going down to the end that's just going to be so incredibly fascinating to me you watch the warriors every day do you think they're vulnerable well they got to get healthy we're going to assume they're healthy yeah 
I think they have some vulnerabilities in that I'm not sure that Draymond Green is quite the same player. He's had some nagging injuries this year. He's an undersized guy getting into his late 20s, may not quite be the athlete he was a couple of years ago, uh, just from a pure run jump athleticism standpoint. Um, and I think also their lack of three-point shooting outside of their big three guys, Clay, Steph, and KD, could end up being a, an issue as well. Iguodala at least has started playing better. You know, that's another potential vulnerability. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at this regular season, I, I would say so. And But I think they're more vulnerable just because Houston is so good. You know, I think that's that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me. Uh, but it's also worth noting that they're 40-10 and 10 with Steph Curry in the lineup this year, which is uh, still pretty damn good. That's a 65-win pick. But, but, I mean, as much as they're struggling, they're what, four games behind the Rockets who have been unbelievable? Yeah. Or whatever it is now. I don't know what it is. But, um, you know, you just mentioned something like Draymond. I haven't thought about this. So I have a... Um, People like to pretend that measurables don't matter, and I totally believe the other opposite, that measurables completely matter, both in the NFL and the NBA. And my theory on it is that it is possible to succeed in the league as a um, undersized player, but your, um, I don't know, attrition rate, I don't know if what the phrase I'm looking for is, but instead of aging naturally, you fall off the cliff. So Carlos Boozer went from viable player to out of the league. Um, when players are, are just, they're, they're great, you know, they're still... I mean, Carlos Boozer was an unbelievable 2010 guy who, but when he was at all off, then all the aspects of him being undersized kicked in. Um, I think we're seeing it a little bit with Millsap. Yeah. Uh, although he's he, going to age a little faster than I, other I players. I disagree with you on that. I mean, he had some of like, the best seasons of his career at like 30 and 31, which is, I mean, that's already Yeah, but go look, go look. I haven't looked at Paul this year. Paul's year last year in Atlanta is not right. No, I mean. The, if you kind of just go look at all the aging numbers, there's a pretty steep decline that maybe oh no I, I agree so it's interesting Draymond Draymond would fit into that is that if he's at all off his level of performance drops more significantly than somebody who's right sized for their position I, I think you're right about that although I think you're being unfair to Millsap because you know I, I think the idea would be that you know by 29 or 30 he would have a significant drop off and at 32 you know that's when most players are going to fall off I, I think he actually has aged better than the typical player uh but I think in general you you probably have a point I I, but that's something I would kind of want to study. I think it's one of those things that, like, just anecdotally, maybe I'm not ready to believe. But I, just watching Draymond this year, especially offensively, you know, I, as a finisher with his burst, the three-point shooting hasn't been there. I don't know if that's age or what, but uh, that's uh, that's been a concern. And they run a lot of stuff through him, and he's declined enough to where I think, oh, maybe they would be better off running more stuff through just their main guys. But then you've got nobody guarding Draymond is kind of the problem. So, But, I mean, again, this is very much nitpicking. Uh, and it's much more about well the Rockets have lost whatever it is two games all year that Harden, Paul, and Capella finished as opposed to the Warriors aren't any good. Um, all right, let's take another quick break here, and we'll bring David right back. Uh, talk a little bit more Utah Jazz to, to finish up right after this. Keep having the bad luck that Danny is not on these podcasts where we have reads for Stamps.com because he is an avid Stamps.com user. I've certainly used it, of course. Uh, since this podcast is a small business, I use it in my personal life as well, especially for those pesky returns. We all get stuff mailed to our house now, and it's kind of a pain to go to the post office and return it compared to simply having someone 
pick up your postage with stamps.com with stamps.com you can buy and print official u.s postage for any letter any package any class of mail from postcards to envelopes to packages domestic to international you say envelopes or envelopes by the way i think i say envelopes i might be inconsistent that's not good what is good is stamps.com and danny has used it a ton because he's actually mailing out a bunch of copies to his friends family of his book you just use your own computer and printer click print mail and you're done stamps.com makes it really easy they also send you a digital scale even which calculates exact postage for you they'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs no need to lease an expensive postage meter and there are no long-term commitments right now you too can enjoy that stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale the way to get started with them go to stamps.com right at the start just click on the microphone you don't wait until checkout you just do it right at the beginning click on the microphone at the top of the home page you type in that familiar cap space code easy remember we talk about cap space all the time in the program that's stamps.com enter code cap space right at the start and let them know that you came from us so last week we did uh, our top 10 players in the nba and you've been making the argument in part predicated on what you've been saying already that you think that rudy gobert is a top 10 player so i'm going to read you my top 10 guys in the league you tell me which of those guys you would have gobert over and why is that a fair exercise because because this is always the thing right when people sure. are like oh yeah you know this guy should have yeah, made, can't made the di- all-star team all right well who are you leaving out you know that that's always my question on, on that right I mean, and, and this is I, I can't be dick vital and have 75 guys in my tournament <laughs> all right so i'm gonna go down the list you tell me when i get to someone that you think rudy gobert is at the same level at lebron james james harden steph curry kevin durant that's my top four tier one no tier two Giannis Antetokounmpo, anthony let's talk about Giannis a little bit yeah okay what's their their record uh not as good as the Jazz so I love Giannis and I think that I've almost never seen anything like it and I can absolutely understand I mean I I, most people are like what the hell are you talking about right now I'm with you but let's talk about it I think this is a reasonable one actually because Um, I I think uh Giannis has some flaws in his game and so I think that Rudy is better defensively than Giannis is offensively by a large margin, actually. And then I think Rudy has an offensive impact in the game because I believe dunkers are really important and they have gravity toward the rim. And Giannis is really good defensively. So Giannis is probably a little bit better than Rudy. Giannis's defense is probably a little bit better than Rudy's offense. Um, and I think Giannis is terrific. Don't, like, please don't misinterpret it. But I think it's a, I think it's a worthwhile discussion. So, so I mean, do I, you... I don't know what the answer... I don't know necessarily yeah. what the answer on that is. Um, I mean, we're talking about a guy and, and all the traditional numbers... Um, Giannis are so mammoth at 27, 10, 5, and 2, and 2 that you it seems absurd to be even thinking about it. But I, I, I'm not sure that I, I would tell you that I actually think Rudy Gobert has more impact on the game than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, and it's interesting too when you say has more impact on a game, you know, is that the same as a better player? Is that the same as a more valuable player? You know, th- those are interesting questions as well, right? Um, but let me ask you. Do you think that yeah. And, and let me let me wait, let me throw out one other let me throw out one other note. I, I may be underselling Giannis's defensive impact. I mean, if you, yeah, their, their their defensive system is so weird and their defensive numbers are so weird. But I, if I recall correctly, when I prepped for Milwaukee, which was quite a while ago, they're considerably better when Giannis is on the floor defensively than when he's off the floor. Oh yeah, so, they, they fall apart without um, him uh, on both ends. They, they've been, you know, I think they're like probably plus five or something with him per one hundred, and then they're well into the negative without him 
So um, Giannis and Rudy, I think, are legitimate discussion. Well, so so let me ask you this question. One of my core tenets in coming up with my list was that I believe that offense, when push comes to shove, is more valuable than defense. Now, part of that, which to some degree Gobert and the Jazz, at least during this recent stretch, have refuted to some degree, is that generally the best offensive teams are more extreme from league average than the best defensive teams are. And that hasn't been the case in this recent run with the with Gobert. Now, you know, I, I think they've gotten a little bit lucky with opponent three-point shooting. I think it's, you know, it's like below, what is it, below 30% or something during this run. It's pretty low, right? Or am I, or am I misremembering that? Above the above the break is, but even if you even if you normalize, they're so much better than everybody else defensively. But even if you normalize the opponent three-point shooting, they're still five points, six points better than the next closest team. Okay, but so that's five. All right. right now, right now, they're, I mean, let's make sure everybody understands. You know, since, and I'm not playing the oh nobody pays attention to the utah jazz crap I, i'm not i don't believe that i actually think the jazz have been like more covered than any team ever that's seventh in their standings this year with donovan and rudy the jazz are nine points better since i think january 19th than the second best defensive team in the league yeah and houston is like you know eight points better or something like that than uh oh be- better than the second best yeah okay so right that's the second best not better than average right. like the jazz are at like 94 and toronto's at like 102 or 103 so even if you normalize the three-point shooting, the Jazz are at 98, and the, they're still and the second-best teams at 102. Yeah, so uh, it's incredible. Yeah, that, that is I completely mean, insane. The, do, the, the defensive dominance is, and even in the game they lost to Atlanta, the defense was like a 95. But let me give maybe give a little background on what Rudy, what the Jazz defense has done, which I am giving credit to Rudy, so that people don't think I'm totally insane. Well, well is, is that fair um, to put that all on Rudy Gobert? That, that he, you, yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, I really do just considering how bad the defense was without him for so long, so much of it. But so in 21 of the last 24 games, the Jazz have held their opponent under 101 points per 100 possessions. When you do that, you win 80, that's six points below league average. You win 83% of your game. In 33 of the 45 games that Gobert has played this year, the Jazz have done that. 33 of 45. Yeah, that's... In the last 20, the defensive rating is like a 93. And the league average is 106, 107. So another argument that, that I had was... It's easier to find a reasonable facsimile of Rudy Gobert than it is Steph Curry or James Harden or LeBron James. I couldn't, I couldn't disagree more strongly. Yeah. I really, I mean, because what DeAndre Jordan, but the Clippers have never been this good defensively. Yeah, I mean DeAndre Jordan is is not that great uh, overall. I mean, I, but I think yeah, yeah, right. But but like, what are you going to find? It's a reasonable facsimile of a guy who's got a nine foot seven standing reach and a seven nine wingspan, like Dikembe Mutombo. But it's been 15, 20 years since we've had one. Yeah, of those. well, you could say Joel Embiid would be a reasonable facsimile. I mean, not not that he's exactly uh, particularly uh, ubiquitous in his own right. Um, but you know, I mean, the, there are well, then, but that, but then James Harden is my Steph Curry. Yeah. I mean, then I, just as easily I can find Steph Curry, I'm finding Kevin James Harden. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that... So, yeah, I mean, I, to the best the best offensive player in the league is still Steph Curry. And the second best is Durant and Harden. The best defensive player is Rudy, and the second best might be Embiid. I, I would agree with that concept. But I actually think... I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think you can find a reasonable facsimile of Rudy Gobert at all. Yeah. I, I, I guess my point would be you can find someone who can block some shots and protect the room. They might not be as good as Rudy as... But that's 
that's not yeah. what he does. But that's but well, okay. But that's not what Rudy does. Teams take eight percent less shots in the restricted area than they do when he's off the floor than league average. Not even when he's off the floor. Just league do average. you know how they that compares half, to other you know to other big men? Is that just like way beyond? I have not done that. I, I'd be very interested to know that. Actually. I have not. I, I I mean, I could probably go do it at some point. I have not done it. But but irrelevant of how it compares to other big men, the Jazz shot composition defensively is as much a reason why they're elite defensively as teams missing shots, if that makes sense. So when Gobert's on the floor, 3.5% of shots are corner threes. But the league average is 7%. When Rudy's on the floor, teams don't get, they don't get shots in the restricted area. League average is 32% of shots in the restricted area. When Rudy's on the floor, they 26.5% of, shot, of shots are taken in the restricted area. Yeah, actually, so when these, Rudy's these on not, the floor, these we have discussed, you're moving, by the way, on, on the pod. I hope you, thanks to, okay. uh, thanks to uh, Liam Doyle, uh, who uh, grew up a, a big jazz fan he's, who's our, our intern he uh he made sure on our last 15 and 60 that we uh we, we marched through through all these numbers so i, I think the, the audience is familiar with that i i hope um about what how he really changes the shot profile for opponents basically which is kind of what okay so but i would argue he changed the shot profile he's moving 10 percent out of shots out of the most valuable areas into the least efficient areas and i think that's no different than what james harden does offensively so in Another reason that I felt like I wasn't as high on Gobert is I feel like against the absolute best offenses in the playoffs, the teams that can run high pick and roll where he's got to really get out on the floor where they can space him out uh, with a, a center who can shoot the ball or they're going to go small uh, against him and force him to guard the three-point line more. My thought was, you know, a, a, and my rankings were, if you want to win a championship, these are the players that you would want on your team. Uh, that Rudy, at, at the very least, to, to me, I, I have some skepticism. He hasn't perhaps had a chance to show it yet but i have a lot of skepticism of can he be effective against the top four best teams in the league the way he is against the other 26 who don't have that type of talent to really stretch him out defense are you taking james harden off your list because he couldn't beat Kawhi leonard i don't know that that was necessarily the case last year um that it was that it was Kawhi leonard in particular but i mean well I, regardless of whether that's a reason to have him out of the top 10 but i mean i think some of the best i think some of the best offensive players have awfully tough times in the playoffs against some of the best defensive teams. Sure. So sure, Minnesota. Minnesota is a very difficult matchup for the Jazz defense and Rudy Gobert because Carl Anthony Town pulls him outside, but so's Kawhi Leonard for James Harden. Well, just to, regardless of whether that's a reason to have him lower on this list, is that a, a valid criticism? Do you think that he is less effective against teams like that? Um, sure. I mean, a five that pulls him out, I mean, can have a huge impact. But the next guy you're going to mention is Anthony Davis, and yeah, he's done. Well Anthony Davis that. had a brilliant game against the Jazz last time, but in the seven games prior to that, Anthony Davis shot below four, and even in that game where he's brilliant, Anthony Davis has shot 40% against the Jazz in the last eight games he's played against. I'm him. more concerned about guys who he can't drop on the pick and roll, like a Steph Curry the way Harden is shooting the ball this year. KD, uh, guys where if you run a pick and roll and Gobert's back in the paint, it's just going to be a three. That That's more what I'm concerned about than the shooting center necessarily. Yeah, but I don't think, I don't think I've had to have a Jazz around 
defend it. So, so, so you think he can, gonna he can trail get that pick and, You're going to trail that pick and roll and play behind him and, and try to move that player into the... I mean, I don't think your criticism... I'm not telling you that I think that you're inaccurate in saying that that style of player can cause some problems. Now, I will point out that Portland, who would fit a little bit of what you're talking about, in their last two games against the Jazz, offensive ratings have been 97 and 100.8. Yeah. So the Warriors, the last time they played the Jazz, had an offensive rating of 95.9. Like, that's probably the Warriors' worst offensive game of the year. So, you know, Miles Turner should fit that a little bit. Indiana's offensive rating is an 89.9. Yeah. Although Turner himself was very effective in the Amp- circle. Fine, right. But, it, I mean, yeah. Anthony Davis in New Orleans should fit. Their last one was 97.3. So I, I you know... I, I agree. I, to some extent, might buy what you're saying. I just think it. I think the same thing is true for the best offensive players struggle in certain lineups as well. And I'm not sure you're holding them to the same standard. Yeah, th- that's a reasonable point. Um, no, this is this has been interesting. Um, and, and just for for the record, by the way, some of the other guys I had. By, yeah. By the way, I'm just pulling. I'm just pulling. I'm pulling up Portland against the Jazz earlier. She was a 92.9. Yeah. Like I'm dreading the idea of the Jazz playing Portland in an off in a playoff series, and then I'm looking at the Portland hasn't had an off a game over 100 points for possession against the Jazz this year. Let's talk about that. Actually, that's a, that's what I wanted to transition to. Is of the teams that are three to eight in the West right now. Obviously, you know if they get seven or eight, which is is a distinct possibility. You know they got to play Golden State and Houston. Neither of those are palatable matchups, obviously, for anybody in the league. But if they can get out of the seven eight, New Orleans, OKC, San Antonio, Portland, Minnesota. Of those teams, are there any that you think are better matchups for the Jazz? Or are there anything that uh, they might struggle with a little more? Uh, you're gonna hate me. And the listeners are going to hate me. I'm just not going to go down that road until they get in. <laughs> you're, you're worried that Sorry. they may not even make it. I, I, I'm not at all convinced the Jazz making the playoffs. And I mean, certainly the projection systems. I know the Clippers won a game they probably weren't supposed to win tonight. Uh, so they're, but they're Jazz, and the Jazz had that unexpected loss against the Hawks. But Jazz, 85% playoff odds according to 538, and yeah. and Clippers, 27%. Those projection systems have those projection systems have two flaws to them, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm sure the 538 people will tell me I'm wrong because Nate Silver and those people are way smarter than I am. But here are my two things I think are wrong with these systems. One is that it assumes you'll play the final 12 games of the season the same way you played the previous 70, which is not true, right? You're going after every single one of these at a much higher level than you did the previous 70. And two, I don't know if I can explain this, but the reason the Jazz chances are 85% is because they have a pretty easy schedule. But when only 11 games left, if you drop one of those, like the Jazz just did, you don't have any room to make it up. Whereas the Clippers' chances are 30 whatever percent because they have a bunch of tough games but they're actually home for a lot of those games and they're probably like 50 50 games they're going to win more than 50 percent of their 50 50 games coming down the stretch here so i actually think the jazz are going to get to 47 wins to get into the western conference playoffs um and then i think it's going to depend on who they have the type who they get tied with at 47 wins of whether they get in or not yeah so that i think denver might denver might be in a little bit of trouble De- denver's the only one i don't feel great about well, so right the now. clippers yeah. but they got a huge win tonight the clippers are 38 and 33 so they would need to go eight and three the rest of the way to get to 46 wins that's asking a lot i it is asking a lot but i actually think they i mean i think they'll be favored probably in eight of those games so it's it's a doable thing it's a lot i haven't checked their schedule that closely but I'm, but, but I'm not i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna talk about which match first of all um if our head coach ever heard that i did that he'd kill me <laughs> so i'm just scared of our head coach well don't worry nobody listens to this show uh um, okay. All right. Two more things I wanted to talk about. First one is Donovan Mitchell. I was totally unfamiliar with him. Uh, my buddy Mike Schmitz 
predicted him to be rookie of the year i thought he was completely insane you on a on danny's show you said he was thought he was going to average 15 points a game i forget whether you said that on my show too but both of us thought that you were insane for saying that obviously we were insane because he was awesome i mean the last time the 13th pick in the draft just came in and played like this I, i've never seen it so uh, number one like what is he so much better at now than he was in college because i, I mean i wasn't that familiar with his tape in college i mean schmitz obviously saw it but you know some other people saw it but it was difficult to imagine a, a guy who you know wasn't all that efficient as a college offensive player would be able to come in and score the way that mitchell has so the one thing is if you go back and look at his second run through the acc he actually like they play a december game at conseco Fieldhouse against indiana and he gets benched he actually got benched in his sophomore year like taken out of the starting lineup i mean that's and but but if you go take his second run through the acc i think he averages close to 19 points a game it's a lot so that is consistent to this kind of just incredible learning and growth process that he's been on um i, I think that you know the the obvious cliche answer is the nba game matches him better that's yeah. true he worked really hard with johnny bryant lamar skeeter and some of the jazz coaches on finishing and he struggled at it early and they learned how to finish at the rim and he's been shooting about 65 percent in the restricted he, area yeah. which is pretty fabulous i mean and that's that's been so, like the shot that he has now I mean, number one even though he can't jump off of one foot he still finishes off of one foot so he's able to at least extend outward a little bit he's got those long arms and then those scoop shots those nash layups even off of two feet you know rather than going to a floater he'll he can still extend even off of two feet and get the shot around the defense and and those are the shots to me that have been so impressive yeah and i think even you know he had a tough night against atlanta but he even stopped in kind of a two-footed jump pull-up jumper from eight feet out on a few when he as the game went on i mean i think he just has an incredible aptitude of learning as the game goes on and i think and that has been a huge Part of it, Quinn Snyder has said that he's learned three years of information in three months. Uh, so to me, that's kind of who he is and what is the essence of him is the learning uh, that he's displayed on a on an inc- kind of on an incredible run. So I, that's been the super impressive part to me about who he is in, and what makes me believe he could be really, really fabulous. At what point did you like start to believe that he had like this rookie of the year potential superstar type talent? Boy, that's a when, I don't know when I just you know when did I just suddenly I mean I think I, I have crazy thoughts about him so I mean he's averaging twenty points well, a game what, what, what are those crazy thoughts for serum twenty percent I mean I think he can score thirty points a game yeah. without I don't even think it's a stretch he's scoring twenty points a game right now and he's shooting twenty eight percent on the above the break three for the last twenty games yeah and, and as you've noted the off the dribble three pointer is not quite there yet either for him right but they're gonna be there like I have no doubt that those are gonna be there I don't know if it's gonna be by October of next year or whether it's going to be you know shortly thereafter um, you know I mean the night against Oklahoma against New Orleans was pretty incredible when he dropped forty one but they're really just a bunch of little that's you know that's such a demonstrative obvious moment and that was december 1st um, we went to dinner in summer league you know what actually and, i would go you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to this one i'm I, I said we went again? to dinner in summer league and pretty high on him at that point even i recall yeah I, yeah i thought he was pretty good um I, the night actually that i'm gonna go to is december 5th 
The Jazz play at Oklahoma City, and he's guarded by Andre Robertson and Paul George the entire night and finished with 31 on 22 shots. I remember that game. And I was like, and we lost, we lost that game. But I was like, like it's over. Like, it's incredible. Like, this is, I mean, and he didn't, he didn't wilt. And then there was a bunch of weird stuff that was going on where, um, where the, the there was a whole part, portion of time where the players of other teams were going up to talk to him after the game, which sounds like a really weird thing, but players don't do that. Like players like Chris Paul, who does have a tie to him, and Russell Westbrook were like seeking him out after games to talk to him. And it was like, they clearly see, which is far more important than whether I can see it, they clearly see that this kid is, is remarkable. He's a great kid too. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the nicest thing about him. Like, oh, here's, a, here's a, a story I'll tell about what a great kid Donovan. So Donovan got the flu during the season and we all fly on the same charter. So when Donovan got the flu, what they do is they move Donovan to the back of the plane with the media so that he doesn't get his teammates sick because they don't care. For <laughs> um, and so Donovan's got his mask on. He's sitting in the back and Donovan and we're all getting on and I mean, he's like puking and feels terrible and you know, all these things. And Donovan says, hey, hey David, am I sitting in somebody's seat? Like, no, Donovan's all right. You're good. You're just, you know, like, like here's this kid like worried about like am I, am I intruding on someone like yeah I mean you are but like don't worry about it like we're all good like it's just an incredible if that I don't know if that story tells it just an awareness and a kind of who he is you know there's his teammates deserve a lot of credit that nobody got jealous with him um, and then at the same time he deserves a lot of credit because his communication with his teammates and, and they know his earnestness is such that he um, you know they, they clearly are supporting him in, in everything he's doing it's actually a good transition to the last thing i want to talk about which is the nba schedule people have been really on that for the last few years teams have been trying to rest more but it's really come into focus a lot lately too with uh two coaches taking leave of absences in part due to what seems like exhaustion essentially ty lewis has said that there's a report that you know part of what, why he's had such trouble is, is just not being able to get to sleep he's going to bed at 9 30 in the morning when they get back for, from the road trip i mean you're with the team all the time you know you're one of the closest civilians i guess we could say who's actually you know traveling with the team obviously you don't have to play in games or anything but what is it like being a a part of this nba schedule if you're a coach i mean do you just never get any time off during the season like how do they deal with that yeah i mean i think i'm i'm pretty close with quinn and spend a lot of time with him and and i think i get him in all of his moments of relaxation um and that's you know maybe an hour a night where he's not thinking about the next minute and um if we go to dinner there's like always this moment of dinner where all of a sudden he's like all right i gotta go like it's 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 time like you know he can see the clock ticking on how much preparation he has to do before the game starts um and the level of detail we talked about earlier um so i i do think uh and the i, I just it's an interesting thing though like why it's tearing up no disrespect to Steve Clifford or Tyron Lue, like it shouldn't be tearing these guys up more than it should heart surgeons, should it? Well, heart surgeons did it. Right? Like if you know you got a big heart surgery, yeah. heart surgery the next day, shouldn't that be what, shouldn't you be like having a hard time sleeping? And I mean, it's, there, it, something's really out of whack. Yeah, but a heart surgery is like, media presence it's kind of or, the same thing every time. I mean, I, I don't want to d- discount heart surgery, but I mean, how many different kinds of heart surgeries can there be? There's not, you know, I mean, certainly there's a disease, but you're not, it, heart 
heart surgery isn't necessarily competitive you know there's not somebody out there like trying to like push your scalpel aside when you're like trying to do the surgery right 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 um you know i don't know what it is um but but it doesn't so i would say this i don't know what it is but being as close as i am it doesn't surprise me at all i mean i think it's more physical Um, i don't have I, i don't have any of i don't have any of that stress i'm zero and zero um and i get and i'm pretty tired and there's some games where i haven't prepped it all the way just because i don't have the energy to prep it and maybe if you're a head coach you can't do that and so you have to force yourself through that to be able to prep and then if you're doing that then you've begun to start to spiral i think also coughing up blood's pretty serious stuff it's also i think part of why it's so stressful is you have to stress and you are in theory responsible for so many things that you do not actually have direct control over and yet you have to worry about it yep like that's got to be a very difficult feeling yeah it's a good way to say it it's a really good way to say it it's interesting i mean it's not good and it's not and i don't think it's going i don't think it's going the other way i mean um, you know, and I, to, to compliment the coaches a little bit, um, I think what's interesting about it is it tells you that none of them are doing it for the money because almost all of them have a guaranteed contract where if they got fired, they'd be making a buttload of money, yeah. right? And so they're not like, well, fine, screw it, fire. They're obviously trying to not get fired because they want to win and they want to, you know, but they're also, you don't see any of like, fine, fire me, I'll just take my money. So, yeah. Well, um, I, I could think of one uh, example in Sacramento recently, but. <laughs> outside of that uh that's right. right you don't have to comment on that one uh i think we, we can call it quits here uh, thanks so much again uh for joining us from uh dallas texas uh and uh hopefully you can uh lay off the caffeine enough to get a decent night's sleep tonight i will do my best <laughs> all right man thanks again uh, for coming on and uh, don't forget you can listen to locked on nba five days a week and uh also again i'll, I'll plug it uh josh lloyd's locked on fantasy is uh the best podcast i know of uh for nba fantasy dorks uh thanks again to david and yeah. and if i oh, can, go ahead if, if, if i can plug specifically adam silver is 11 minutes sit down with adam silver is the locked on nba guest on this uh, on the thursday of this march 20th oh wow that was nice how'd you get him connections baby connections. <laughs> was he did he just happen to be in utah was that what it was oh yeah because he was there, he, he was did. there recently he when did. he was saying like oh we yeah. really want to bring the all-star game back that's right yes so we sat down yeah all right that'll be awesome looking forward to that what one. question would what question would you ask adam silver that's tough actually because i've had like at sbc he's uh he came in at one point larry got him to come in uh sports business classroom that which i'm involved in the summer league um you know i've been in press conferences and i've never really had i, I guess the probably the the biggest thing that i would want to know is has the league studied the idea of whether reducing the number of gains would actually lead to a loss of revenue or not like is there data on that because people always say oh yeah you know we can't reduce the number of games because you know it's going to lead to a loss of revenue is that true is that really going to if you had 58 games that you play each team twice over the same amount of time and you still have games every day but each team plays fewer games you know would it make the tv product rarer and therefore they'd pay more and it all come out as a wash or not you know do we have the answers to that question or is it just kind of oh less games fewer games that means that uh you know we have lower revenue we can't do it that would be the question i want to ask i don't want fewer games i didn't ask that because i don't want fewer games because then i get paid less Uh, well if if uh you think that's true i don't know if that's true if i would get paid less but um i, I didn't ask that's a good, great question yeah that's... the best question i thought i asked him you want to hear the best question i thought yeah, i sure. asked him 
if you're going to get involved in gambling, do you have to get rid of everything that incentivizes losing? Well, that would mean getting rid of the whole draft, or at least the structure of it. Yeah. Right, well, I want to. I, we won't. We won't spoil it. I want to hear what he said. So I will, I will listen to that tomorrow. Uh, all right. Thanks again. Uh, I'm glad you plugged that because that was interesting. Uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Thursday night edition will be tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to do yet, me and Danny, but uh, we'll come up with something good. We, we hope. Talk to you all later. Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring today's program. Sonos lets you control music with your voice. You can play your favorite podcast, your favorite music via Sonos as well, all over Wi-Fi, not Bluetooth, but Wi-Fi, much more reliable. You can even have someone set up your Sonos speakers for free if you live in any major metropolitan area. Just order from Sonos.com, select up and running at checkout, and you can get 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com when you use the promo code DUNK10. That's promo code dunk 10 this offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 